This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll. Good evening. My name is Brett, and some people call me Father Brett. Some people call me Pastor Brett or just Brett. Some people call me, hey, you tall, skinny guy. I answer to all of these. Uh, And as one of the priests and pastors here at Resurrection, let me wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, Let's pray together. Father in heaven, would you send now your Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we may know you as you are revealed in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is Christmas Eve, a joyful time, an exciting night, and I know that we've got a lot of kids in the sanctuary tonight, so I just... I want to see a show of hands from you kids. How many of you are really excited about presents? Raise those hands high. Yeah. Are you so excited? I am so excited about presents. Okay. All right, kids, let me do another one. How many of you are so excited to listen to my sermon right now? Raise your hands really high. Say, I'll pay you later. Yes, this is church. Don't lie. Put your hand down. Okay. No, I... I actually have something, as distracted and as excited we are because it's Christmas Eve, I have something really important to say, something that's beautiful, news that I get to share with you, something even more wonderful than the presents under the tree, as wonderful and excited about that as I am also. And it is God's gift to the world, the gift of himself. On this night across the world, people are gathering in churches everywhere and maybe in other places besides churches to celebrate on this night that God came into the world, that heaven joined earth, that God and sinners are reconciled, finally brought back together at last because God and man are one in Jesus Christ. Yes, he who is at one in the same time, the holy, perfect, infinite God on high has fully become human. The one whom the universe cannot contain has become contained in the flesh and blood of a little baby born in Bethlehem. And I won't go on because uh, these noble truths and these great mysteries we will sing later to our heart's content and some things are better sung than said. But that is what we're here to worship and to celebrate tonight. And of all the things that we could focus on uh, in in our meditation tonight, we're going to focus on on this aspect of Christ's birth, that our God and our King is a humble God and a humble King. In fact, one of the most surprising things that we learn about God from the Christmas story is that his greatness is found in his smallness. His glory is in his humility. So we read a little bit from the prophet Isaiah. I'm going to read just one verse from there again. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He's basically saying, I am God, and there's no one but me. I am holy. I am set apart. There is no God besides me. That is who I am, and I will not deny it. But he goes on to say, the one who is high and holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, 
to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive, to bring back to life, to give life to the heart of the contrite. And contrite here just simply means those who are sad. <laughs> I said, Merry Christmas, it's a joyful night, and there are some of you who don't feel particularly joyful right now. You feel more sadness, contrition. To be contrite is to be sad at the damage and the destruction that you see all around you in the world when you say, that's not how it should be. But true contrition, to be truly contrite and to be truly lowly is to say, and yet I know that the damage and the destruction I see, I've contributed to it. I have a part to play. But this text tells us that the God who is high and holy, who is set apart and there was no one like him, he dwells with the lowly. He is near to the lowly. And in his birth now, we see that he is not just with the lowly. He's not just near to the lowly. He has become the lowly one. So from Luke chapter 2, the narrative of Christ's birth, I'm just going to draw out this one verse. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. He wasn't born in a palace or a castle, more like a cave. And even though there was much rejoicing in heaven on earth, there was no parade of nobles as there would have been at any other king's birth. There was a parade of nobodies, shepherds. There wasn't fireworks. There was simply animals chewing the cud. Moo. <laughs> because again, what we learn, one of the most surprising things that we learn about God in the Christmas story is that his greatness is found in his smallness. His glory is in his humility. Now, humility is, is becoming somewhat of a, a popular idea these days again. I was just uh, seeing a Wall Street Journal article that appeared recently that corporate employers are realizing that they've been missing out on one of the most important characteristics, important traits of a good leader, and that's humility. According to several recent studies, humble leaders inspire close teamwork, rapid learning, and higher performance in their teams. So humble leaders produce more. And one company in particular, the article highlights, Patagonia, the apparel company, they start scrutinizing job applicants the moment they walk in the door looking for humility. So after the interview, they'll, they'll go back and they'll say to the receptionist, hey, how was that person when they walked in the door? Were they rude, self-absorbed? And one manager says, if we find out that's the case, it could be a deal breaker. Now something in us, when we hear that, we respond to that. Something in us smiles. We respond to humility. We recognize its goodness. It's particularly refreshing when we see it in leaders. So a few weeks ago, former President George H.W. Bush died. And if you watched his funeral, if you've been reading what people have been saying about him, one of the common threads that you'll see over and over is he was a humble leader. He was a humble man. And people who watched the funeral said, oh, in, in, in our current context, that was so refreshing to see. It's refreshing because deep down inside, we know that that's the way it's supposed to be. But that's not the narrative that we hear most often. Most of the time we hear about power that's being abused, or we, we maybe know good and decent people who came to power and were corrupted because of it. Or we hear about megalomaniacs who are just, it's all about me. 
And in a crowd this size, I'm guessing, it's a good probability that there are many of you here who have difficulty trusting in God and maybe trusting in others because at some, po at some point, someone who had leadership over you did exactly that. They abused their power. Or they became corrupted. And you saw all of the people who were hurt. Maybe you yourself were hurt by it. Or maybe you've just heard enough stories that you're just not likely to trust anybody. You're not likely to trust God. Powerful people are corrupt. God, he's probably the most corrupt of all. And so you walk around and you assume that everyone else, especially leaders, has a dark side. There's something they're hiding. Who you see is not who they really are behind closed doors. And you don't trust. And tonight the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. And here is part of what makes this news so good and so great. Your God and your king is humble, for real. There's no shadow in him. There's no secret part of him that is hiding that we haven't seen. He will not betray you or use you in a dehumanizing way. He will not abuse his power or use it to his own advantage. Rather, what we see is that in Jesus Christ, God gives up every advantage of power. He gives it away. He has become low to bring the low high. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, whose name is Jesus. I dwell in the high and holy place. I really am holy. And also with him who is of a lowly and contrite spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Again, what we find is that one of the most surprising things we learn about God in the Christmas story is that his greatness is found in his smallness. His glory is in his humility. But why? Did it have to be that way? I mean, after all, you're thinking logically, God is God. He can do whatever he wants. He could save the world in whatever way he wanted to. And I would say to you that that's, that's good logic. And if you're going to put it that way, I would say theoretically, I suppose he could have saved it, saved the world another way. Theoretically, he could have done it another way. Theoretically, you could also root for the Buffalo Bills, but why would anybody do that? <laughs> the truth is, he wanted it this way. Of all the ways he could have done it, this was his choice. He chose the humble way because humble is who he is. He wants to be humble. He chooses to be humble. And from all eternity past and forevermore, he will be your humble God and King. It's because there is a law, a principle, a guiding logic in the kingdom of God and everything works according to this logic and this guiding principle. It's kind of like Newton's three laws of motion. High school physics was a long time ago, but let's see if I get it. What goes up must come down, right? 
For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, unless it's way past bedtime, then it's only overreaction. <laughs> and things in motion, if they stay in motion, give emotion sickness, all right? And upon these three laws, all of physics are based. And just so you know, what goes up, what comes, that's not one of them. That was just a joke. <laughs> all right, so there's a principle, there's a law, a guiding principle to the kingdom of God. And everything works according to this principle. And here it is. The first will be last. Those who will exalt themselves will be humbled. The greatest will be the least. And if you try to hold on tight to control of your life, you'll lose it. But the reverse is also true, that those who are last in the kingdom of God will be first, that those who are humbled or who have humbled themselves will be exalted. Those who are least are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And if you lose your life, if you let go of control, then you will find your life and you will keep it. And Jesus is saying, I wrote this law, this guiding principle, and I will show you that it really works. It is such a good law, I myself will live by it. I will become low before I am lifted up. And this is true not only in his birth, but all through his life and especially in his death. Jesus never became rich through his entire earthly life. He who owns the mountains and the oceans and the galaxies far, far away. Oh, I said it. He who owns all of the universe in his earthly life never knew luxury, never at once snapped his fingers and said, riches, glory, honor. He remained poor for the rest of his life. As far as worldly or political power, he had none. He told his disciples, I came not to be served, but to serve you, to give my life as a ransom for many. And he said, it is true, I am your Lord and teacher. I am the high and holy one who inhabits eternity, and yet I will serve you and wash your feet. I have become your servant. He yielded his body to torture and did not shy from the shame of a naked criminal execution, though he had done no wrong, and there was not even a single lie that could be found in his mouth. Even at his trial, he said, if I wanted, I could call a legion of angels to come and rescue me. Talk about power not used to your own advantage. He said, I will not do that. And he, instead, he let the shame of death on a cross come to him. He did that for you. He did that for the love of you and for the whole world. And he calls all of us who follow him to do the same. So Paul, an early Christian uh, pastor, missionary, theologian, when he's writing to the church, he's thinking about these things. And Paul says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, here is Christ's mind. Here's his attitude. Take it on yourself. Christ, who though he was in the form of God, high and holy, Yet he did not count equality with God 
a thing to be grasped, a thing to be exploited for his own use. Rather, he emptied himself of all privilege. He took the form of a servant, and he was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But he began with, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Consider others more significant than yourselves. And he's saying, because that's what Jesus did. Isn't that amazing? He who made you considered you more significant than himself. He did. And that's why he came to the earth. And that's why he died on the cross. And that's why we worship and adore the baby in the manger. Because again, we find that one of the most startling things about the Christmas story is it shows us that it's in his smallness we see his greatness. It's in his humility God reveals his glory. Now, earlier this evening, I said there were those of you who perhaps find trusting in God a difficult thing. Some of you are Christians, and, and you find it difficult to trust God. Some of you would not call yourself a Christian, and you're here visiting, perhaps on the arm of a friend or family, and we know you're here. We get lots of visitors on this night who are not normally in church throughout the year. And, and if you're wondering at all, let me just put you at ease and say you're absolutely welcome here. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening to what I've had to say, but my hope and my prayer is that actually through me you've heard God speaking to you and that you walk away from tonight saying, wow. God is humble. Maybe I can trust him. And if you're at a place where, where you're ready to say, I think I could take a step in trusting him more than I do now, then I would invite you. It could be tonight, it could be sometime later, but say a simple prayer where you are inviting Jesus into your life. You're inviting him into your heart. And you're asking him for help and you're asking him to forgive you. Yes, forgive. Because unlike Jesus, you and I do have a shadow in our heart. There is a dark side to each and every one of us. We do not consider others more significant than ourselves. We consider ourselves more significant than others. And every time we do, the shadow grows in our own heart and the shadow grows in the world. But the good news that the angel brought to the shepherds that night and that I get to bring to you tonight is that Jesus came to take the shadow away. The angel said, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For to you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Come, let us adore him.
Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.